listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. In his meditation on this evening's gospel text, Bishop N.T. Wright rather wryly notes that this passage is probably, quote, high on the list of things we would rather Jesus hadn't said. It is just eight verses taken from the 12th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, but as you heard them read aloud, this reading might have put a little bit of a crick in your neck. I mean, think about it. Picking up on the words of the prophet Isaiah, we proclaim Jesus to be the Prince of Peace. Yet in this text from Luke, Jesus says, Do you think that I've come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. That's after he's just said that he's come to bring fire, a fire he wishes were already kindled. And right before he begins to talk about divided households with mother and daughter, father and son, daughter-in-law and mother-in-law apparently pitted against one another. Then right away it's on to this brief teaching about people being quite able to predict the weather patterns from what they observe in the skies, yet utterly unable to interpret what Jesus calls the present time or in Matthew's parallel account, the signs of the times. So let me start there with the present time, or more specifically, the present time into which Jesus was speaking. The land is under the rule of the Roman Empire, with Pontius Pilate serving as the local governor on behalf of the emperor Tiberius. A fine balance has been struck between the empire and the Jewish inhabitants of Jerusalem and Judea, allowing for the continuation of their temple-based religious practices, even under the empire. Yet the balance was precarious, always precarious liable to be tipped either by the presence of those Judeans who'd begun to talk about uprising and revolt against the empire, or by the particular slant of any given emperor, think Nero, for instance. Roman soldiers march in the streets. Political criminals are nailed to crosses and left to die in the sun as an example of what will happen to anybody who chooses to rebel. Pilate's methods of governance were notoriously violent, even by the standards of the empire. Theirs was a world, in short, always on the edge of crisis. Why can't you see that, Jesus is saying, Why can't you read the tension of these times? But more than just the political and military context, Jesus is also pointing to the heart of what he's been trying to tell them all along. Beginning the day he went into the synagogue in Nazareth 
and read aloud from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And as he rolled up that scroll from Isaiah, Jesus added simply, And today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. By which he meant that Isaiah's ancient vision for release and restoration was coming to be. And it was coming to be in Jesus himself. Now, if you remember that story, you'll recall that it wasn't particularly well received by his friends and family in Nazareth. In fact, so outraged were others in the synagogue that Luke tells us they made an attempt on his life. And there we see it, the first sign of division, of the deep and divisive conflict of which Jesus speaks in today's gospel reading. Yes, he was acclaimed for his teaching, for his healing, for the way he could fill empty stomachs with food and empty souls with hope. Yet the very things that drew some people close to Jesus repelled others. Notably, those Pharisees, scribes, and temple authorities who had the most to lose in that precarious balance with the empire, if that was tipped and they looked at Jesus in his movement and were afraid that is what he was going to cause, if that was tipped, they would lose it all. Now, Matt Skinner helpfully points out that Jesus wasn't against peace. He blesses the peacemakers in the Beatitudes. Several times after he has offered healing to people, he says to them to go in peace. When he appears to his disciples after the resurrection, he says to them, peace be with you. No, he's not against peace, but rather, Skinner continues, Jesus points out that his message of release and transformation is bound to be divisive. His words about fractured families may have spoken poignantly to Luke's original audiences, who themselves might have included members who were estranged from kin because of their commitment to Jesus. Wasn't easy to turn from old, established patterns, ways of apprehending truth, particularly not in such tense socio-political context. One person might well hear the gospel message of release, grace, servanthood, deep friendship and love as being the truest path imaginable, and then discover that a parent or a sibling or a son or a daughter was completely up appalled that you are paying any serious attention to this nonsense from Galilee. No, it isn't easy to walk such a path. It does divide families and communities, 
particularly in the heart of crisis. This really came in view on Wednesday at our midday Eucharist in the chapel when the liturgical calendar had us mark the commemoration day of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Maximilian Kolbe, two German martyrs of the Second World War. Bonhoeffer's first great struggle was against his own Lutheran church in Germany, which by 1934 had so capitulated to the Nazi party that Bonhoeffer and others left to form the Confessing Church. A leading theologian in this new church, Bonhoeffer helped to organize underground seminaries. And he worked to create a fresh vision for intentional community life in very, very difficult times, which led to his now classic book from 1939, Life Together. In time, Bonhoeffer also became involved in one of the assassination plots against Adolf Hitler. And when that plot was discovered, he was imprisoned and later executed. According to his biographer and his closest friend, Bonhoeffer's final words before being hung were, This is the end for me the beginning of life. Father Maximilian Kolbe, on the other hand, was a Polish Franciscan priest of German background who was sent to Auschwitz for his refusal to cooperate with the occupying German army. And more to the point, he was sent to Auschwitz for helping to shelter an estimated 2,000 Jews from capture and shipment off to the concentration camps. In Auschwitz, Father Kolbe voluntarily stepped forward to take the place of another man who was to be executed along with nine others who'd been randomly picked from the prisoners to be killed as an example of what would happen if another one of them ever tried to escape. Apparently, one of those men picked fell to his knees and shouted out, My wife, my children. At which point, Father Kolbe stepped forward and offered to take his place. Kolbe died on August 14, 1941, after surviving two weeks locked in a bunker with the other nine prisoners deprived of food and water. The other nine died, but when they opened the bunker to find him still alive, they finished him off with a lethal injection of carbolic acid. How much easier for those two men, if they had not chosen to walk the gospel path, the path of division in their time, if they'd simply kept their heads down, capitulated to the demands of the Nazi party, and let the world go mad all around them. But they couldn't, because they had already felt the fire of which Jesus spoke when he said, I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. Now we might hear only notes of destruction or judgment in the image of fire, 
But set in its broader biblical context, there is so much more to the image than just that. As Matt Skinner points out, Luke has already told us through John the Baptist that Jesus is coming with a fire of purification and refinement. Fire in the Hebrew Scriptures also connotes God's presence, and therefore it represents the power of God to effect change in the face of formidable resistance, as well as the power to overwhelm God's enemies. The fire Jesus wants to kindle, Skinner says, is a fire of change, the fire of God's active presence in the world. No wonder he is so eager to strike the match. So no, this is not an easy text. But with all due respect to Bishop N.T. Wright, I can't count it among things we would rather Jesus hadn't said, or at least I can't after I've wrestled in it as I have this past week, and been reminded of the deep witness of two modern martyrs, and reminded, too, that the match to kindle the fire of God's active presence in the world was finally and ultimately struck one dark Friday afternoon between noon and three, struck on an executioner's cross on Golgotha, just outside the walls of a city that had lost its way. It was that day an end, certainly, but for us, the beginning of life. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.